Thank you, Abby. Appreciate that so much. Uh, by the way, uh, the Weldons actually watched our house while Gene and I were gone over the last week, and they have a couple of ginormous dogs compared to our little ones. But they're kind of wimps because our little ones beat up on theirs. I don't know what that means other than just to like, you know, they're wonderful people. Their dogs just aren't perfect. Anyways, uh, it is great to see you. Uh, I'm looking forward to this, to this new year. I, I really am because we do have a God who gives us opportunities day after day, year after year. And he's so gracious in doing this. Because the reality is we don't deserve second chances. But he gives us a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. He gives us chances for greatness every day. And I just praise the Lord for that. So this morning what we're going to do is just kind of start out a little two-part series on on opportunity. And I want to start with a movie that I think is familiar to many of us. If you haven't seen it, you've probably heard it referenced. Uh, on the Waterfront. How many of you all have seen On the Waterfront with Marlon Brando? It's It's a good one. Marlon Brando plays the role of Terry Malloy in this movie. He's a former boxer. And uh, in the movie, we learn that he has basically missed his opportunity at being the champion prize fighter uh, and has uh, kind of fallen into a situation where he's entangled with, with the mob. Uh, the choices that he's made have been devastating to him. Not only has he missed out on a very good career, as a prize fighter, but he's also missed an opportunity for the title fight. Uh, he's also, because of the choices that he's made, uh, slipped into being involved with the mob, and unwittingly, he's actually been entangled with a mob hit. Unfortunately, the reason that he gave up his boxing career in the first place, so to speak, is because the mob directed him to take a dive in the ring, and the person who specifically directed him to take a dive in the ring was his older mobster brother, Charlie Malloy. Well, here we are years later as the movie uh, progresses, and Charlie, the older brother, and Terry, the younger brother, are on a night ride in the back of a taxi. And Charlie, the older brother, is encouraging Terry to take a dive yet again, not a dive in the boxing ring, but to keep his mouth shut when he gets subpoenaed to testify about this mob hit. And so uh, in the back seat of the car, Charlie says to Terry, for some reason, he says, you know, you, you, you could have been another Billy Kahn. You, you could have been somebody, but that skunk of a manager brought you along too fast. Uh, you know, you blew it. And then Marlon Brando's character has this look of disbelief, and, and he's like peeking from beneath these eyes that have become a little bit puffy and scarred from all the boxing. And he says to his brother, Charlie, it wasn't him, it was you, Charlie. You know, you, you're the one who blew my chance. Remember that night in the garden when you came down to my locker room and, and you told me, kid, it's not your night. We're, we're, going for the prize on Wilson. Not your night. Not my night. I could have taken Wilson apart. And then they continue this conversation. And then he says rather famously, and you may, may have heard this, I, you know, I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Instead of a, a bomb, which is what I am, let's, let's face it. And as quickly as the anger rises in Marlon Brando's character, 
it, it dissipates and a look of hopelessness comes across his face. The look of hopelessness that is appropriate for somebody who had a shot and then they saw their future and their chances all disappear. It is a really, really sad scene in the movie. And the reason it's so sad is nothing is going to break your heart more thoroughly than to have family. A, a, a father, a son, a brother, to have a family member that you should have been counting on, that you thought was in your corner, and then you find out they weren't in your corner, and they're the one who took away your opportunity. There's, there's not much that's more devastating than that. It's a sad scene. And I've got some good news for you, just sort of setting the context. The good news is your Heavenly Father is not at all like Charlie Malloy. The God that we serve is a God of opportunities. And I don't know that we often appreciate just how incredibly gracious and wonderful and life-affirming that is. Your God, my God, the one true living God, He gives us chances for greatness every new day. He gives us opportunities to bring him glory every new year. God is 100% unlike Charlie Malloy. He will never betray you. He is your protector. He is your supporter. He is the God of second chances. He's unlike anyone you've ever met, and he's also unlike any other God for that matter. Uh, Let me just give you a real quick example of this to contrast. Let's think about Zeus, who's the greatest of all of the gods in Greek mythology, at least the most exalted of all the gods in Greek mythology. One of my favorite stories about Zeus is a story that involves Sisyphus, who is supposedly the first king of Corinth. Sisyphus, and I'm going to spare you all the, the details, Sisyphus has been to Hades, the underworld, twice, and he's escaped on a couple of different occasions. He gets into Hades a third time, and, and now Zeus involves himself to keep Sisyphus down. And the way Zeus involves himself is he causes Sisyphus to roll a boulder up a hill. The only thing is, when he's about to the top of the hill, this stone, this boulder has been cursed by Zeus so that it rolls all the way back down to the, to the bottom. So Sisyphus has been condemned to continually rolling the stone up the hill, never succeeding in what it is that he set out to do. Zeus condemns Sisyphus to an eternity of futility, to never achieving what he set out to do. He's been condemned to a life of pointlessness. That's the gods. They toy with people. Again, God is unlike Zeus. He's the God of opportunity. He's unlike any other gods that you're ever going to find because he gives us second chances. And the reason we know as Christians that we get these second chances The reason we have these doors of opportunity, the reason we have these open windows is because God created a door who is Jesus. He ran through the wall, had every bone in his body crushed, and that's what created the opening. He didn't just go through an open window. Jesus left heaven, came to earth, and he shattered the window as he dove through it for you and for me. Our God is not just a God who gives us second chances He's a God who gives us second chances because he knew that in the one chance that he was given to bring about redemption, he would be utterly destroyed and crushed for our iniquity. We have a God unlike any other God. We have a God who gives us opportunities. And so when you think about this, it is unthinkable, it ought to be unthinkable, that we wouldn't take the opportunities that God by his grace has granted to us. 
So this morning, as we start this little two-part series on opportunity, I want to direct your attention to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. We're going to make a couple of points this morning, another point next week, and we'll be done. But for now, let's go ahead and stand out of respect for God who's speaking to us through his word. Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, you've probably heard that the optimist sees difficulty in every opportunity sees opportunity in every difficulty, but the pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity. So which is it? Well, there's both difficulty and opportunity all the time, but what comes first? What's the major lens? What's the major emphasis? Now, the Bible never tells us not to acknowledge the difficulty. In fact, in the text that we just read, it says these days are evil. Jesus said in this world, you'll have tribulation, you'll have trouble. But be of good cheer, Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome the world. The God of opportunity is on your side when you are understanding what the Lord's will is. And since the God of opportunity is giving you the opportunity, is on your side, we ought to be optimistic, but that doesn't mean that we're Pollyannish in our optimism. That is to say, we don't just believe everything's just going to naturally turn out roses all the time and it's always going to be sunshine and, and lollipops. No. But we recognize God gives us the opportunity. God personally involves himself with us in the opportunity. And so in the midst of every difficulty, there is opportunity. God's on your side. So as the biblical optimists that we are, I want to talk about the opportunities that are before us in the year ahead. And I'm going to break this talk again into three parts, and we're going to get to two parts here this morning. Number one, because God is the God of opportunity, number one, let's be careful to use our time wisely. Be very careful in how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Wisdom is required to make the most of every opportunity. There's a story of a man who was tasked to deliver a computer to a store. The route that was given to him led him down a a alleyway. When he entered into the alleyway, or as he was about to enter into the alleyway, there was a sign, and the sign that was posted was blocked, turn back, difficult to turn around. Well, the man just simply obeyed his directions, ignored the sign, and sure enough, he found out that the alleyway was blocked by a fallen tree. took him forever to turn around. Eventually, when he made his way back to the entrance, there was a second sign, and the second sign said, told you so. We can avoid the told-you-so moments, but we have to pay attention to the signs that are given to us. We have to be wise to avoid stuckness, to avoid the told-you-so. Be wise. So the question that we have to ask ourselves in light of this text is, am I making the most of every opportunity? Do I wake up in the morning and I think, oh, Lord, what is the best way that I could possibly bring you glory today in these evil times? Probably most of us weirdly settle into pushing the same old stone, 
up the same old hill, getting the same old results. Because we're not wise. We're not being mindful about the opportunities that are being given to us. And I just want to affirm that if you ever get comfortable with the same old, same old, then that is actually the path of the heartless, thoughtless older brother, or that's in keeping with the agenda of the false gods. But it's never in keeping with the agenda of the one true God because the one true God and the firstborn brother among many gives us opportunities and he calls us on a daily and certainly on a yearly basis to be wise, making the most of every opportunity, not simply doing whatever it is that we just happened to have done last year or yesterday. Now, there are things that we did yesterday or last year or 10 years ago that still are fantastic and ought to apply. But we use wisdom because we recognize when we are being wise, we recognize that adjustments sometimes need to be made. That same old, same old is not necessarily in keeping with God's particular agenda. Be wise. Uh, some of you have heard about the guy who went fishing. He had a had like a little 12-inch ruler, knocked it off at 10 inches, and pulls in a fish. It's only 7 inches. Suppose you see that the fisherman pulls in the fish, it measures it against a stick, and surprisingly, he puts that fish in his bucket, keeps it. Then the fisherman gets a 24-inch whopper, throws it back. You see this fisherman repeatedly keeping the small fish, throwing back the big fish, and eventually you go over to him and you say, hey, I'm, I'm not really an expert in fishing, but I'm not so sure you're doing it the right way. Suppose the fisherman then says, you don't understand. I know it may not seem sensible to you, but you don't understand. We only have a 10-inch pan. Well, you're probably... Now, you're going to have one or two options at this point. You may not want to correct them because you think if you're that dense, you may not be correctable if you've just been using a 10-inch pan for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. But let's suppose you take the risk. You're probably going to say, you know, go buy another pan or cut up the fish into smaller pieces. Be wise. Now, as a church, we have, I think, made some wise choices that are going to apply in the year ahead. Wisdom is proved right by our children. That just means, you know, sometimes you've got to test things to see, is this wise or not? But I think some of these things are wise. One of the things that we're going to be doing differently, an adjustment, a change in keeping with wisdom, is we're moving the 8.30 traditional service time to 9.30. That starts next week. It's not been an easy kind of adjustment because one thing affects everything else. But when I got up this morning and I got here at 8 o'clock, it felt early. And that was 8 o'clock. I mean, those of you that have been coming to traditional service at 8.30 for several years, God bless you. You are you just about exactly like Jesus. But the people that you invite to church may not exactly be like Jesus. They might actually want to sleep in another hour. Okay, that just seems wise. So we're, we're making that adjustment. Uh, another thing that I think is wise, and we talked about this at our most recent congregational family meeting, is we're going to do a better job of keeping the entirety of our facility secure during the week. What I mean is, if you come up here during office hours and you don't have a key, you're going to have to ring a doorbell to get in. Okay, You're going to have to be specifically let in. And the, the reason we're keeping the building locked up and tight 
is not only do we have the Children's Day Center downstairs, but we also have now the Warriors Christian Academy, and we have to be very careful to keep the building secure. So if you want to come in, you're going to come in. It's just that we want to make sure we know who's coming in. That's just, it's a small change, but it's a change. It's wisdom. Because you let one wrong person in, and that could be absolutely horrifically disastrous. Okay, it's a, it's a good thing. Another thing that I want to applaud you on is I know many of you took the opportunity last year to pass out these invitation cards. In fact, one person from our congregation, not only did they invite somebody to church, but they said, we're going to do it right. We're going to have them over. We're going to have a meal, going to give them a gift. And then the piece de resistance of the whole evening is like the invitation card. You know, so you've been inviting people. That's fantastic. We're going to have more invitation cards available to you. Unfortunately, they're going to be available next week because over the last week, our printer was off for the vacation and... We said, Christmas doesn't apply to you. But anyways, they, they're going to have the cards. We're going to keep doing that. That's a good thing. That's an adjustment, just being intentional about in, investing and inviting. The other thing that's going to change this next year, and I think this is a good thing, is we're going to be having a WANA in here on Wednesday nights, and several of you are going to be helping with that. A WANA, a workman approved, not a shame, is, is just about helping children to memorize the Bible and learn the Bible, and they play games along the way. If we want to reach families, we reach children. But even if we don't reach the families, we need to reach the children because their hearts are wide open. That seems smart. That seems wise. It also seems wise to us that if we can partner with other churches, we should do so because this would be basically, to my knowledge, the only want a program happening here in Georgetown. And so another church, Calvary Hill Baptist Church, that we've done things together with before, they're going to be helping with us. And if other people want to help with the program, they can help with the program. That just seems wise. Thinking, too, about wisdom, knowing the time, knowing the seasons, knowing that God's in charge of the seasons. This next year, and I'm really excited about this, it's going to be kind of a challenge, but next year we're going to attempt to have a community-wide play here at Main Street Baptist Church. It's going to happen in September or October of next year. Most of you are familiar with Don Garant. He's a wonderful, devoted Christian. He's also taken about almost 15 years to work on this play concerning Dan Moody. Dan Moody is the youngest governor in Texas history. But before he became the youngest governor in Texas history, he was the attorney who was the first attorney to successfully prosecute the KKK. That happened 100 years ago in 1923. This is the 100-year anniversary. The play that he's written is specifically Christian. Now, it's not like Billy Graham, Four Spiritual Laws kind of a, a, a play, but it is decidedly theologically appropriate, Christian, biblical. If people come, they will get the message of how Jesus Christ transforms lives and causes us to be involved in painful, sacrificial ways for the betterment of the world. It is a great play. And uh, he has tried, um, you know, just made honest attempts with regards to other organizations, theater companies, and all the rest. But because the play is actually specifically Christian and historically accurate, uh, it's not getting very well received. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, but... um, Theater companies in general are probably a little bit more woke. <laughs> Did y'all notice that? Uh, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll notice that. 
Uh, but we're going to be able to do that here. And we're going to try to involve as many people as we can in doing this. And so it's, it's, going to, it's like going to be a faith move. But if we are able to execute this appropriately in the year ahead, I'm telling you, we will have lots and lots of people come through. And not only will they be entertained, but they'll be positively impressed by the difference that Jesus makes in making a difference in the world. I'm excited about all of these things because I think it's wisely making the most of the opportunities that have been given to us. Now, what applies to us corporately applies to us individually. You need to ask yourself, what is it that I can wisely do in the year ahead? How can I plug in? How can I be involved? Maybe not even here, but maybe with regards to Fellowship of Christian Athletes or just wherever you are in your school or business or neighborhood. Let's wisely use our time. Number two, and then we're going to close on this point, because we do have a God who is a God of opportunity, let's be thoughtful. Uh, the scripture here says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. In this text in particular, what we're being told to do is to be thoughtful, especially toward God. Not being foolish, but understanding what the Lord's will is tied to being sober-minded and being led by the Spirit or filled with the Spirit. We need to be thoughtful toward God. Now, being thoughtful toward God necessarily does go together with being thoughtful toward other people, but we need to be especially thoughtful. And knowing what the Lord's will is, understanding what the Lord's will is, and not being foolish, in the Bible almost always is located right in the middle of a life that is devoted trustful and faithful to God. It's not an accident that verses 17 and 18 about understanding the Lord's will and being sober-minded, it's not an accident that those two verses are sandwiched right between the action of verses 15 and 16 and the action of verses 19 through 20. We always best understand and discern where the Lord is leading in the midst of a life that is actively submitting to God in trust and in faith. Let me, let me explain what I mean by this. You don't always know where you're going before you submit to the one who's leading you to where you're going. Okay. Let me give you an illustration. Some of you may have heard about the guy who was out in the, the desert. He was dangerously lost, becoming very thirsty, dehydrated, but he sees a shack in the distance. He goes over to the shack and he sees at the shack there's a water pump and there's been a small little jug of water left there with a note that's attached. Pour all of this water into the pump to prime it. Then you will have enough water to drink. That's what the note says. Now, in this moment, the man who is parched on the verge of dehydration, he's got a choice. On the one hand, he can trust the note and the person who left the note and who cared enough to leave the water, and he can pour all the water into the pump, and hopefully the pump will begin to issue water. But if it doesn't work, well, then he's absolutely for sure going to die of thirst. On the other hand, he could just take the little jug of water and drink it directly, not try to prime the pump. But even then, he he thinks, well, I might still die. So he thinks about it, and he decides to trust the note and the person who cared enough to leave the note and who cared enough to leave the jug of water, primes the pump, starts pumping the pump, and he's getting a little scared because it's not working immediately if you've ever primed a pump. But eventually the water comes out, and as a result, he drinks all that he needs to drink. He's able to take a, a bath, and he fills up all the other containers around that he can possibly find. After he's done all of this, 
he leaves an addition to the note because the note also says, leave a, no, fill the jug for the next traveler. And at the end of that little statement, this man adds another note. Trust me, it works. Now, this is how life works with God. Every time we come to a new day or a new year or a new season of life, you've got these two choices that are before you. On the one hand, you could choose to distrust the note, the word, and the person who gave you the word, and the person who didn't just fill up a little jug but poured out his blood. You could choose to distrust and then just drink what you can in the immediate short term, not thinking about the long term at all. Or you can trust the note, and you can trust the person who left the note, and you can trust the person who poured it all out for you, and you can give, pour out all of you to where he's told you to pour out everything, recognizing that everything you had actually came from him as a gift in the first place, all because you simply trust the promises of God yet to come. What kind of person are you? If you're the kind of person who only drinks the jug because you're not trusting in the long-term promises of God, you're not the kind of person who will, who will live wisely understanding what the Lord's will is. Because understanding what the Lord's will is and not being foolish is always sandwiched in the midst of a life that is active and trust-filled and faithful. This is why, among other reasons, I'm excited about several things that are coming down the pike for this church because it's going to require a certain amount of trust. For example, I'm excited about what's happening in, in at First Baptist Church Gerald. Now, for those of you who maybe haven't been around, you haven't been to business meetings or you don't know Brad and all the rest, this has not been a secret. But I do want you to know we have kind of developed or are on the front end of developing a relationship with First Baptist Church Gerald. They are currently without a pastor. Uh, they, they, their last pastor was there for decades. Uh, they've kind of shrunk. They've looked to Brett to give some direction and preaching help on Sundays, but they've also essentially reached out to our congregation, expressing at least initial interest in becoming what we would consider to be a satellite campus, a satellite church of our community. I don't know where this is going, okay? Brett, we don't know. I don't know how long it's going to take to know where this is going. I just believe that the Lord's in it because we have people in this congregation who are out in Gerald who've been helping. It does seem like the relationship is strengthening. And for the last actually 30 years, when this church first began, people were talking about Main Street Baptist Church helping with a church plant. This is an opportunity to help with a church replant. Again, I don't know. But sometimes you just walk in faithfulness and the Lord makes plain what it is that's coming next. And again, when you think about, well, how do I be thoughtful to the Lord? Well, the way that practically we express our thoughtfulness toward the Lord is we're thoughtful toward other people. I want to give you just a couple of verses for this. And I know that in the in the presentation, I've got way too many verses. I'm just going to Go to two verses in particular, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. It says, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Paul goes on to explain a little bit later, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Why? 
Why are we going to reap a harvest? Because the God of the harvest, the God of opportunity, is on your side when we're understanding and walking in the will of the Father filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Over the course of the last couple of years, our church has been really, really good at at doing good to all people, especially to the family of believers. It doesn't say only to this family of believers or the Baptist family of believers. We've been appropriately responsive to the needs of just the family of believers. For the longest time, our church at least has supported Fellowship of Christian Athletes with regards to fundraisers and the use of our facilities. We have been supportive most recently of the Warriors Christian Academy. We don't take money out of our general contributions to support people's private education choices, but we do have Monday through Friday, Warriors Christian Academy using our facilities over here because we want to support, we want to do good to all people, especially to the family of believers. It wasn't too long ago, about two years ago, that there was another church. It wasn't a Baptist church. They needed help. They needed a place to worship because their pipes broke in the middle of all that, that cold season that blew through a couple of years ago. And, and we gave them a space to worship for about five months because we want to do good to all people, especially to the family of believers. Very recently, we allowed Emmaus to be using our facilities on Sunday afternoons. We thought it was going to go a lot longer. It didn't. But we want to do good to all people, especially to the family of believers. And if in the future... We can help other churches in, in a reasonable way without, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's either they succeed or we succeed. It doesn't have to be either or. It can be both end. I hope our relationship with, with FBC Gerald is not only good for them, but it's actually good for us. That's typically what happens when you support the family of believers. And if there are other opportunities in the future where we can help with regards to church planting, we want to do so because the Bible tells us that when we're thoughtful toward God, we're thoughtful toward other believers. We do good to all people, but especially the family of believers and not just this own particular family of believers. Uh, that conviction is showing up in other exciting ways that we don't always think about. But for example, we have people now that are leading out doing ministries. And I think this is so beautiful that are doing ministries outside the boundaries of this church to people that we know are, are never, may never, ever come to this congregation because of just the inability. We've had ministry going on down, going on down at Stonehaven, which is, you know, um, government housing, and some people are just not able, able to get out or inclined. But we also now have two ministries that are going on on a weekly basis at assisted living centers. Uh, one of them is starting up over at the Oaks, and Joe Vickers over here is going to be doing that on Thursday nights at 7 o'clock. We've been doing something at the Delaney, and I, I think uh, Randy Clawson is leading that out on Wednesdays at 11, about 20 to 25 people coming and hearing the word and, and just worshiping the Lord. We have more places that we'd love to minister to. We just need more people to help. And, and I think one of them is... Uh, an Alzheimer's memory care unit by Brookdale. I'm forgetting the names of all. We've got a couple of places that have just said, hey, we would love for you to come and help, but we don't have enough people to help. But I think it's a beautiful thing that the mentality is we're going to get outside these doors and minister to people in practical ways, helping people to have worship services who otherwise aren't going to have live worship services. And those of you that are here know it's just not the same watching it on your screen than live worship with other believers. Some beautiful things are going on around here. 
And I know some of us were thinking, well, but what's in it for me? I mean, if I want to, you know, serve God and serve others, does that all work out? And let me just kind of cut to the chase and we'll end on this thought. When you put God first and others second, when you're actually thoughtful to the Lord and thereby thoughtful toward other people, here's what happens. Your life gets full in a way that would not be full otherwise. You're living the life that God intended for you to live, like Jesus. I read something not too long ago. It's a little article about how to live a miserable life, and it's a summary of a, of a, of a book by uh, Randy Patterson. And he, he says this. Here's the keys to personal misery. Think about yourself. You get that? I think we can put that up there. Think about yourself. Talk about yourself. Use I as often as possible. Mirror yourself continually in the opinion of others. Listen greedily to what people say about you. Expect to be appreciated. Be suspicious. Be jealous and envious. Be sensitive to slights. Never forgive a criticism. Trust nobody but yourself. Insist on consideration and respect. Demand agreement with your own views on everything. Sulk if people are not grateful to you for the favors you've shown them. Never forget a service you have rendered. Shirk your duties if you can. Do as little as possible for others. The point is that when we're thoughtful toward God and thoughtful toward other people, it actually really does work out for you because the fullness only comes in the self-emptying. We don't celebrate being empty of ourselves because emptiness is in and of itself a virtue, but it puts us in a position to be filled with Him. And that's where the joy comes in. That's making the most of every opportunity. More next week. Let's go ahead and bow for a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the opportunities that you give us. And uh, we recognize again that the opportunities that come to us, they didn't come at no expense. You gave up everything so that we would have the opportunity to bring you glory and to serve other people. And as we bring you glory and serve other people, we become more and more like Jesus, who is the not only the fullness of the revelation of God, but the fullness of of who it is that we were supposed to be from the very beginning as people, the true, unbroken second Adam. Lord, may we know the, the fullness of Jesus as we make the most of our opportunities. Help us to be wise. Help us to be thoughtful. Help us to make you known. And Lord, if there's anything that we do need to adjust, if there's anything that we do need to change, grant us the wisdom to do that. Because God, you... Uh, you're a God worth glorifying. And do we just want to say thank you, Lord, for what you have done in and through our lives. And, and we pray, Lord, that you would do even more. Because there is no God like you, the God of second chances. For some of us in here, the, the application is a lot more personal. Maybe... The second chance you've given us is with our children or our grandchildren. Maybe the second chance is uh, just stepping up and doing the right thing, whatever that might be. Maybe the second chance is with a spouse or with a job. Maybe the second chance is with a friend. Lord, I pray you would help us to make the most of every opportunity and to recognize just what a beautiful thing it is you give us these chances may we make the most of the open doors for greatness in the year ahead and we pray this in jesus blessed holy name amen
you stay 